You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Friends, welcome this morning. My name is Spencer, and I'm the pastor here. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start a new series this morning called Enough. So several years ago, Rolling Stone magazine ran a uh, feature story on Larry David. Larry David is probably not a name you're real familiar with, but it is somebody that you know because Larry David was the co-creator of this little show in the 90s called Seinfeld. He's the the real-life George Costanza. He had another show on HBO that was called Curb Your Enthusiasm. Very, very successful person. And so Rolling Stone did this cover story on, on Larry David, and, and in the story, they went to a Yankees game. He's a famous New Yorker, and so they went to a Yankees game, and at the Yankees game, it was announced that Larry David was in attendance, and so 50,000 people start cheering and standing up and giving him a standing ovation because he's just this beloved New Yorker who's done all these incredible shows, and, and uh, everyone loves him. And so 50,000 people give him a standing ovation, and uh, after the game, they're leaving the the game together, the reporter and, and Larry David, and somebody drives by in their car and sticks their head out the window and yells something at him that I, I won't say because it's a family-friendly environment and it's church and wouldn't be the right thing to say. And, and the author makes this point that the whole way home, Larry David is fixated on one of those experiences. Can you guess which one? Yeah, obviously not the 50,000 people who stood and cheered and adored him, but rather the one person who yelled out something quite cowardly as they drove by without ever having to even talk to him. Just this one negative criticism was this thing that Larry David was fixated on and not the 50,000 people who stood to cheer him. It's an interesting thing to see because nothing about that experience is surprising, is it? I mean, it's one thing, why, why in the world would he be so fixated on just this one when there's 50,000 things that went right, there's one thing that went wrong? And I think the more interesting question is, when you hear that story, why is that not surprising? Why is it that all of us have a tendency that no matter how like, good things might be, no matter how well-liked we might be, no matter how much we have in the bank, no matter what we have in the garage, we still want more? Like, why is it that we have this tendency to get fixated and to focus on on just the few things that not, might not be right when there's all these things that, that are right, that no matter how many friends we have or how well-liked we are or how well things are going, uh, we still feel like we don't have enough. Well, these are the questions that we're going to tease out over the next few weeks in this series is we're going to talk through this, this question of contentment, of, of, of what does it look like to live lives that say that we are are full and have, and have more than enough. And so we're going we're gonna to wade through this and, and look at some promises that we see in the scripture about contentment and what this looks like in our lives and, and how we put this into practice. And as we move through this series, we're going to get very practical as we, as we walk through this. We're going to talk about some key behaviors that, that content people demonstrate and how they grow into this in their lives. And uh, we're going to look at what this looks like to, to cultivate these kinds of things in us because uh, there's a promise of Scripture that we can live the kind of life that doesn't focus on the one thing that's wrong but can 
but can live this content, full life, understanding all that God has done for us and with us. And so today as we jump into this, we're going to read from Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to read a pointed statement about contentment, a very, very pointed statement in the scripture about contentment. And um, as, as we do this, we're going, to, we're going to see a promise that's there as well as some behaviors that start, to, that start to surface as we get this series going. Now, when I arrived in July as your new pastor, I preached through Philippians. And I was thinking in my head at the time, I think I might preach this in November. So I intentionally didn't do these passages we're about to read just so I'm giving you some fresh content and not something that's copy and pasted from like four months ago. So this is, this is new stuff as we're going, even though I just preached through Philippians a few months ago. Um, we're just going to read some pointed statements about this. So Philippians, as you'll remember, is written by Paul. This is a letter to a church. He started this church. He knows these people. We're going to pick up at the very end of this letter. This is like the closing few thoughts that he has. And we're going to start reading in verse 10. So Paul writes this, and here's what he says. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. He says, indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, Paul is writing here uh, from a Roman prison. This is the concern that he's talking about, that the Philippians are concerned that he has been imprisoned. He's imprisoned because of his witness for Christ. He didn't do anything wrong. He's just been imprisoned because of his witness for Jesus. And, uh, and he's, he's writing this, this whole letter from prison, and this is the concern that they've, that they've had. They've had an opportunity to show him concern. What he's talking about here is that they have sent a, a financial gift to Paul, uh, to help him as he's, as he's doing his work and now he's in, as he's in prison, and this is the opportunity he has to show it. Philippians is kind of a, a thank you letter in some ways for this gift that they sent him. He goes on, he says, 11, he says, I'm not saying this, this you know, concern thing. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, even though I'm in prison. He says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, again, even though he's in prison. Listen to these words though, verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. The secret of being content, if you wanna know what it is, the secret of being content, Philippians 4 verse 13, this is the secret of being content. This is a famous verse, I'm gonna encourage you, if you would say this verse with me though, this is, this is so good, here's the secret of being content, let's say this together. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The secret of being content, Philippians 4, 13. Hugely famous verse, famous, famous, famous verse. I learned this verse as um, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I think that's an older translation. There's another translation that says I can do everything uh, through him who gives me strength. Uh, hugely famous verse. You don't need to be a Christian to know this verse. Uh, Steph Curry, who plays basketball for the Golden State Warriors, he writes this on his shoes before every game. I can do, you know, everything uh, through Christ who gives me strength. Like there's this hugely, hugely famous verse. People put it all over the place. It's on posters and bumper stickers and t-shirts all over the place. I can do, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Hugely, hugely famous verse that we almost always read out of context. This verse has nothing to do with basketball or achieving greatness or overcoming problems. This verse is about not all things that we could do. That's a really bad translation, by the way. I could do all things through Christ. That's a bad translation because this isn't about all the things you can do through Christ. This is about one thing specifically, one thing specifically that is very difficult and eludes most of us. And that one thing specifically that this verse is about, this famous, famous, famous verse is what? It's about being content, that I can be content through Christ. This is the whole thing. 
So we, we translate this and interpret this to be, be about so many things in life, but really when Paul's writing this, he's writing about the secret of being content, and, and, it's, and it's found in, in Christ, that, that he is the source. Now, now, when I say content, I also want to talk about some things I don't mean with that word. Because sometimes we hear the word content and, and we maybe think different things, but I just want to be really clear about what we're talking about when we use this word content. So when I say content, I, am, uh, I, I don't mean apathetic. Sometimes you can be apathetic in life, and that, I guess, could be interpreted as being content. Like, apathetic people just, like, don't care. Uh, they're they're kind of like, eh, you know, whatever happens, kind of happens kind of thing. That's, that's, not what I, that's not what I mean is, is apathetic. Um, I, I also don't mean lacking ambition. So when I say content, I'm not talking about people who just don't have ambition. Paul has all kinds of ambition, if you think about him and his life, and yet he writes about contentment, the secret that he's found. Uh, I, I also... I also uh, I don't mean lazy. That's also what I don't mean with content. I don't mean lazy. I don't mean apathetic. I don't mean lacking ambition. I, don't, I also don't mean someone who's settled. Sometimes you can be, maybe you can interpret being content as just somebody who's like, ah, well, you know, whatever, I, I, this is the best I'm going to get kind of thing. And that's kind of what you mean with content. I don't, I don't mean that at all. When, I, when I'm using this word content, and I think what Paul's getting at when he uses this word content is talking about somebody who, who cares deeply about things, who works hard at things, who strives and, and pushes things, and yet at the same time is able to take something to the Lord and, and say that prayer we prayed a few moments ago in worship where we say, um, your will be done. Whether I'm well-fed or hungry, I'm going to do my very best here. I'm going I'm to push as hard as I can here, and yet, and yet your will be done because, because you are the source of my contentment. You are the source of, of how this works. And so when I, when I say this, this is a, the kind of person who is driven and cares deeply and yet at the same time is able to give this to the Lord and surrender that outcome to him. So here's the secret to being content. It's, it's found through Christ who gives strength. Let's keep reading here. And I want to finish this thought. Verse 14, it says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. Uh, the Philippians have been the one church throughout Paul's ministry that has supported him financially over and over again. So no one did it except you only, he says. Verse 16, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. That's not what this is about. This isn't about just money. This is about more than that. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment. And then listen to these words. I have more than enough. That's the, the language of contentment. I have more than enough. I, I, I'm good with whatever God gives me. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And listen to how Paul describes their giving here. This is so beautiful. He says, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And he says, my God will meet all your needs. This is, this is the language of, of, uh, of, of contentment here. My God will meet all your needs. He'll provide everything you have for you according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's an incredible passage here where Paul lays out the secret of what contentment looks like. And very simply, Paul's teaching is this. Uh, contentment is found in Jesus. Contentment is found in Jesus. Now, why would that be true? Why, why would contentment be found in Jesus? Well, very simply, contentment is found in Jesus because Jesus is himself enough. He is everything that there is. He has everything that there is. He has everything that you would need or ever could need. 
He is the sum of all that you would need, and so therefore Jesus is enough. That's what Paul means when he says, my God will meet all your needs, because my God has everything that you need. My God has everything that you've ever been looking for. My God has everything that you could ever desire, and therefore that is why he's going to meet all your needs. This is what God is like. This is what God does, is he gives to us. He provides for us because he himself is enough. And what you find is because he himself is enough, what you find is that what he loves to do is he loves to give. This is like a a primary characteristic of what God is like. God loves to give. God loves to give. And what he expects from you, like the primary way he wants to interact with you, is he wants you to receive. God loves to give. He wants you to receive. That's how the interaction works. That's what the relationship looks like. God gives, you receive. For instance, we say that our salvation is a gift by grace because God is giving this to you. God gives to you forgiveness. He gives to you mercy. He gives to you everything that you need. He gives to you his love. He gave to you his son. The whole act of salvation is an act of God giving to you and just wanting you to receive from him. This is how this works. This is what the relationship looks like. He gives, you receive. It's that simple. And by the way, this is what separates the Christian message from every other world religion, that God gives and we receive, and that's the whole expectation that God has for us. We don't earn our salvation, he gives us salvation. We don't earn forgiveness, he gives us salvation. We don't earn God's blessing, he gives us his blessing. This is what God does, and his expectation then is that we receive, because he already is, in and of himself, enough. So let me say this a different way. Let's look at a very famous passage in the Bible. This is one of those passages like Philippians 4.13. You don't need to be a Christian to know this passage. It's just a very, very famous passage. Maybe, I don't know, it's hard to debate this, but maybe one of the most famous passages in the Bible. And again, I want you to see how does this passage describe the relationship that God wants to have with you. So here's how it goes. Psalm 23, verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Question, why do I lack nothing? Is it because I have enough money in the bank? Is it because I have enough things parked in the garage? Is it because I have enough people who have my back? Is it because I have enough skills, education, or smarts to figure out whatever my trouble is? Why is it that I have enough? Because the Lord is my shepherd. (laughs) That's it, the entirety of it. The Lord is my shepherd, and my shepherd wants to take care of us. This is what he does. He takes care of us. We have this shepherd who is good, and so therefore, because he is good, we lack nothing. Listen to how it keeps going. I mean, you know it, so, but listen. He says, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. I don't know if you caught the word I was trying to emphasize there each time. It's not me, right? I don't lead myself beside quiet waters. I don't refresh my own soul. I don't guide myself along the right paths for his his namesake. It's not about me. Like the Lord, the good shepherd, he is the one who does this for us over and over and over again. He provides this for us, not us providing it for ourselves. He's giving these things to us, just wanting us to receive from him. It it keeps going. It says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, 
Like even though maybe my circumstances are troubling and difficult, and even though maybe I feel like I don't have enough, and even though maybe I'm yearning for something more, even though it feels like I'm lacking in some area of my life, it's just even though I'm walking through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. I'm not going to fear that dark valley. Why is that? Very simply, here's the answer. For you are with me. It has nothing to do with me. It's not because of my smarts. It's not because of my education. It's not because of what I have in the bank. It's not because of the friends I have or the church I have or my family or anything like that. The only reason I'll fear no evil is because you are with me. It goes on, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So even, even when things are against me and stacked against me, you, you invite me to your table. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And it says, surely your goodness, your goodness and, and your love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like, what's the relationship here? The Lord gives. The Lord provides. The Lord is these things for us and we just simply receive. This is what he does. He has everything that we need. He is the sum of everything we need. He has everything that we're looking for and he just wants to give to us. This is the character and the nature of God is that he gives and we receive. The great author Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, he describes this character of God like this. I want to read this quote to you. He says, God is not worried that he's going to run out of something. God, he says, is beyond rich. He is overflowing with everything that is good and everything we need. He says he has so much that he will never run out of any of it. It is so very important to remember this when we are fretting over a perceived need. In such a time, we may be tempted to think that maybe, just maybe, God is as stingy and small as we are. He's not. God loves to give. God loves to forgive. God loves to just gush forth with his goodness Nothing so delights him as giving to anyone and everyone who will receive. And then quoting that famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave. This is the character and the nature of God that he is enough in and of himself and that he wants to give and he just wants you to receive. This is how the whole exchange works. This is the good news of the gospel that he gave of himself that you might want to receive whatever it is that you need to receive in your life our God wants to provide it. This is how the nature works. This is how the relationship works. Think about what Jesus said when he talked about prayer. It's my favorite verses. It's kind of strange, but he just says this. I love this. He says um, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, You parents, if your children asks for a loaf of bread, do you give him a stone instead? He goes on, he says, Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Which secretly to me is quite funny, but that's just because I'm a dad. Goes on, he says, of course not. Of course you don't do that. That's not what you do. And so if you, uh, sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Like the very nature of God is that he, that he wants to give. This is the whole nature of God. This is how this works. This is what God is like. And so I don't, I don't know what kinds of words maybe you use to describe God. Uh, maybe you, you use words like God is love, um, God is kind, God is faithful, God is powerful. Maybe these are words that you use to describe God. Hopefully you don't use words like mean or vindictive because that's definitely not what the character of God is like. 
But let me offer you another word that you could use to describe the character of God, a word that should be way high on your list when you think about what God is like. And it's not very often a word that we use to describe God, but here is a word that should be high on our list when we use to describe God, and it's this, generous. God is generous. He is so generous that he gives everything that we need. He provides for us out of the abundance of who he is, he gives. He gives, he gives, he gives, and he never runs out. He just keeps giving. He keeps giving his mercy. He keeps giving his love. He keeps giving his kindness. He keeps giving us provision. He keeps giving us his favor. He just keeps giving. This is what the nature of God is like. He is so generous, and he he just wants to give to you, and he just wants you to receive. God is generous, which is why, as followers of Jesus, generosity is one of the key behaviors of a follower of Jesus. Because what we do as followers of Jesus is we learn to live into the character of what God is like. And God is generous. He is always giving. And so followers of Jesus, a key behavior that we're going to have also is going to be generosity. That just as we have received from God and we want to, we want to give to others, we want to give of what we've received. We're not just talking about finance. We're talking about all kinds of things that we, we give We give encouragement, we give forgiveness, we give love, we give all kinds of things. The the nature of how this works is that we give. And and in in a kind of a upside down, kind of hard to understand kind of way of thinking about this is actually generosity and contentment are, are intimately linked together so that people who are truly content and can say that God has given me enough are also those who freely give. Like this is how this works, that they, in some way, they work together and it's kind of an upside down, hard to understand. It kind of makes sense, but it also kind of doesn't make sense that the more you give, the more you're going to find that you actually have enough. This is true for the gospel. The gospel often works in an upside down, it kind of makes sense, but kind of doesn't make sense kind of way. So for instance, Jesus said things like, um, if you want to be great, you must become a servant. And you're like, well, that kind of makes sense, but it kind of doesn't make sense. Or Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. You've got to like let go of what you want in life in order to find what's truly going to give you satisfaction. It's like, well, that kind of makes sense, but it kind of doesn't. In the same kind of way that if you want to know that you have enough in your life and not live like you're living in lack or not live as if you don't have enough, but live like you truly have enough that God has given you, well, one of the things you're going to do is you're going to give. This is how this works. Jesus said it's better to, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive because there's a, a relationship between how these two things work that the more you give, actually you find that the more you have enough because what you're doing when you practice generosity is you're, you're discovering the character of God and you're living into what the character of God is like, that God himself provides everything for us. And so what we're going to do over the next several weeks is um, we're going to drill down on that relationship between contentment and generosity. Because these two things are are just tightly uh, tied together. And we're going to drill down and get very practical on what this looks like in our lives. Because uh, I I have a conviction that nothing in the spiritual life happens on accident. It happens when we cultivate. And so I want to challenge us over the next few weeks with some very practical ways that we can cultivate generosity. Because as you cultivate generosity, what you're going to find is that you're actually going to live with a greater sense of joy and contentment. But I had to start this series uh, by setting the table with this idea today of the generosity of our God. Because any conversation about our generosity needs to start with the source, and the source of our generosity is him to begin with. And so this morning, as, as we worship together, I, I have a, a really simple question that I just 
I want to ask you, and uh, some of you are going to have very specific answers to this question, and some of you may, may not. You may need to think about this question later. But here's a very simple question for you this morning. If our God is generous, and if our God loves to give, and if our God is just waiting for you to receive, what do you need to receive from the Lord today? What do you need to receive from the Lord today? For some of you, maybe you need to receive forgiveness. There's people you've treated poorly. There's things that you've said. There's things that you've looked at. There's things that you've, you've, you've done or could have done or should have done differently. And you just need the Lord to forgive you. And that's what you need to receive today. Maybe there's someone here this morning who needs to receive encouragement because you're, you're discouraged and things are difficult in your life and you just need to receive some encouragement. I, I'm telling you, the Lord wants to give that to you. Uh, maybe there's some folks here this morning who need to receive comfort. Maybe there's some people here this morning who need to receive healing, wholeness. They need to receive from the Lord because, because he wants to give. And so this morning, I, I want to encourage you to think about this this morning, that as you come to worship, you are coming to receive something that the Lord wants to give you. He wants you to walk away from this experience having received something because listen, our God is generous. This is what our God does. This is the react, the, the relationship that he wants to have with you. He is absolutely everything that you're looking for in and of himself, and he is offering this to you. What do you need to receive from the Lord today? This is the source of our contentment. This is the source of saying that no matter what the circumstances of my life might look like, whether I'm well-fed or I'm hungry, whether I'm in want or I have plenty, I can say that I am content because of him who gives me strength. What do you need to receive from the Lord today? Amen. As we think through that question, we're gonna receive communion, which is an act of receiving. It's an act of remembering all that the Lord has done and all that God wants to do, and all that God has for you. And so as some of us had maybe specific things we need to receive from the Lord today, all of us today are invited to come and receive the body and the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice that he has done for us. It does not matter who you are, what you've come from, what you've done or haven't done or could have done or should have done differently in your life. Everyone is invited to receive from him this morning this meal that reminds us of his great love for us. In this meal of, of communion, we take bread and we break bread and we pass it to one another. As you take communion, we, we take bread and we give it to you because you are receiving this. And, and this is a reminder of the, of the body of Jesus that was broken for you. And so as we take bread, we remember the night that Jesus shared with his disciples and he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat and remember me as you do this. And so we remember the sacrifice of Jesus we remember the cross, we remember the beating, we remember the trial, we remember everything that he went through on account that you might have life, that you might have forgiveness. In the same way in this meal, we take a cup of, of juice, Jesus used wine, but we take a cup of juice and we remember, just as he told us to, to remember the blood that he shed on account of us. He called his shed of blood, he called this, this symbol a new covenant, a promise that any of us and all of us, it doesn't matter who we are or what we've done, that all of us can find new life, forgiveness of sins in him. Today, all of us are invited to come and receive and experience what he has 
for us. And so as we prepare for this meal and are invited to this meal, let's pray to prepare our hearts for this. Lord, today, as we begin this series and think about contentment, we acknowledge and celebrate your generosity that you give to us. You are not waiting for us to earn it or deserve it. You are not waiting for us to be ready for it. You are just simply offering to us the gift of love, of mercy, of grace, and ultimately of your son given for us. And so this morning, as we prepare for this meal, would you bring to mind the things maybe we've been searching for and, and need to receive from you this morning? Encouragement, comfort, forgiveness. Maybe some of us, it's very practical things. We need God you to provide for us financially. We need you to provide for us in, in relationships. We need you to provide in, in very specific ways. And we know that we can rely on you because you are generous. You have everything that we need and you are everything that we need. And so as we come to this meal today, we, we celebrate your generosity given to us, shown to us, continually given to us. No matter how many times we turn away, you continually welcome us back. And so God, today we celebrate all that you have done for us. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts of bread and wine? And would you make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ, that we may be the body of Christ who's been redeemed by your blood. Make us one with each other, one in ministry to all the world, and one with Christ. Until we feast in your heavenly banquet, Lord, we just confess all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, both now and forever. Amen and amen.